Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer and collectibles, both digital and physical with on-chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid, digital, and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen Z. Sam, I feel like everybody besides us is at Career Blockchain Week. Are you also getting a little bit of FOMO? I am, but I'm also not because I've been traveling so much this summer and I have so much travel coming up that I'm like, if I could just stay home for four weeks, I'm so happy. So true. I am in Miami for the next week and a half and I'm so excited. This is that pre-Labor Day, get all of our house in order work-wise and life-wise. So it's really nice to actually, you know, have a little bit of head stop time while everybody else is on vacation. Absolutely. Avery, I've noticed in your heads downtime, you have not bought one share of Sam Ewan on FriendTech. So what's going on? What do I got to do to get you in the Sam Ewan crypto community? I need to do that. I haven't even gotten FriendTech set up, to be honest, because I think that I've seen this movie before on FriendTech. And while I hope for all the success in the platform, what I don't love is the sort of like Ponzi-nomics ecosystem that... I've seen happen many times before and I think can at times create the wrong incentives for people who don't have the right intentions. So that's one of the reasons I personally haven't gotten going, but I need to do that just to get my hands on the tech. I'm going to take that as an action item for myself by end of day today. So I will shortly invest in Sam Ewan on FriendTech. Amazing. For anyone who is listening who has not yet gone into FriendTech, it's a crypto platform on base, Coinbase is layer two, and it does allow you to, in essence, buy shares in personalities, your friends, and that share gets you into a private chat community with anyone else who holds those shares, which, you know, it's been a, one of the fastest growing crypto apps in a while. It's second only to Ethereum in number of transactions at the moment. They also did about $800,000 in fees just in the last 24 hours. So there is a lot happening in it. And one of the things we saw over the weekend was 
people like FaZe Banks, who's part of FaZe Clan, and some basketball NBA stars started coming on, which has sort of broken it out of just being crypto and crypto influencers. But yes, to your point, this idea of, you know, now I have to pay two Ethereum, five grand or whatever it may be to jump into someone's private chat community where I don't really know what I'm getting from them until you do, feels a little too crypto pumpy to me. Yeah, Sam, you know my perspective on this sort of overt early financialization of, you know, things like relationships where I could just text you or telegram you or call you or do a podcast. And of course, there are oftentimes sort of other ways you financially support the people that you're friends with and and you're sort of emotionally invested. That's one of the reasons why I've never been hot on this idea of like crypto dating apps and that type of thing. And like, there's some things that don't need to be overtly financialized. Though, of course, when it comes to something like a celebrity or a community where you're like really gleaning valuable insights, I'm all for supporting the creator economy. So I need to get a little bit more hands-on and get a more educated perspective because right now I'm sharing an outsider's view. But Base has certainly been the star of the summer, if you will. You know, Coinbase's layer two solution. I was just walking in downtown Miami and saw they actually have outdoor ads for on-chain summer. So got to get Jesse on here. It's awesome to see some activity happening on Base. And I hope that it's sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. I've been trying to collect as much as I can in on-chain summer, really just to play with all the different brands. You know, Atari is there, Coke is there, an amazing set of artists. DK Motions piece, you know, 70,000 mints, you know, for an open edition. Yeah, I got that one. Yeah, pretty awesome. Next story I wanted to get your thoughts on was, we've talked a little bit before about AI and music, but I was reading a blog post yesterday that YouTube put out, and it was about that they are actually working with Universal Music Group directly, and the estates of like Frank Sinatra, the jazz drummer Max Richter, there's a, you know, global pop star Anita, Yo Gotti, who's part of the hip hop world. All of them are coming in to say, let's explore what AI and music can do together, really as a precursor to setting up a kind of set of guidelines of how musicians and AI creators can work together. And it's all kind of working with YouTube also through the lens of how do we ensure that there are creator royalties and rights that are happening within this? So I thought it was an interesting first step. You know, one, working with artists who don't have any say in their career anymore, the Frank Sinatra estate, but also working with current hot artists who are willing to say, maybe there is a world where co-creation is at the DNA of part of what we do together. Do you have any more thoughts on that? I think there's no stopping the AI train. And I think these musicians and the estates of these musicians are smart to lean into this and smart to be working with, you know, an established platform like YouTube to figure this out. Because it's going to happen anyway. It's going to happen with or without them. And you know, to have their voice at the table, I think, is critical. And it's ultimately going to be helpful both to educate the platform on what's possible, do things that are right by their fans, and have their voices and their fans' voices heard. So I think it's amazing. I'm seeing all different types of experimentation in generative AI with music. There are you know a number of a platform I have been playing with a little bit. It's called like Emverse, and you can you know, say what you want and it gives you lyrics. It actually outputs like a rap. There's a bunch of cool stuff that's like happening with little experimental startups. I'm seeing a huge crossover with folks who are really into Web3. I'm now really into the AI space as well. I saw NFT now, now has AI now. There are so many of these, you know, I would call them like emerging tech leaders who had leaned into the space of NFTs and crypto who are now seeing a lot of adjacencies with AI. But just like anything, it comes... Adoption is going to be driven by products that people actually want. And also, 
very different to what we saw in the NFT world. I think monetization is actually a lot more challenging because this is not a place where there's an immediate commercialization. That's going to be something that comes up sooner rather than later. And all of those artists are going to want to find ways that they can get paid as a result of you know experimenting and exploring this technology. Because I do see one of the challenges that will be coming up shortly is like, how do they make money from this? Agree on all of that. It feels a little bit to me like the frenzy is dying down a bit. Oh, it is. Actually, ChatGPT usage is down. The speculation is because it's summer, so kids are out of school. Well, not only is it down, but I've been hearing more in relation to text-based AI that people are finding results getting more and more suspect in the stuff that they're trying to create in the sense that GPT-4, which was supposed to be this really revolutionary step forward, actually isn't creating as dynamic output. It's kind of more generic output. There's also these theories on the fact that the more that AI is getting trained on output that's done by AI, that it continually dumbs itself down, which lends itself to the opportunity to say, how much is it more of a research tool versus a creative output tool? And then even going one step further, how viable is that at research when you do it? You still have to double check. You don't want to be the lawyer who got disbarred because they were using ChatGPT in order to litigate their cases. I guess I just wonder if, and I think this is a great thing, right? As the frenzy dies down, we start to see the actual use cases and the productivity side, which I know you're big on and I'm big on, start to emerge as how does this just make me a better creator, employee, thinker, writer, whatever that may be. Yeah, so we actually just did these like five key takeaways of like where the AI space is heading. And the first prediction is that AI excitement will wane. I think that that moment of like, oh my God, ChatGPT is magic. That is kind of like ended for a lot of people because they played around with it. And I think from a consumer perspective, there's the fun of playing with it for the first time. But then there's like, actually, I could just search on Google. So that initial excitement is waning, both with consumers and also with some enterprises. The second sort of prediction is that AI will be everywhere. I think we're seeing AI sort of deeply integrated across so many of the day-to-day things that we use, whether it is Instacart or Gmail. AI is just built in already. So it's like, do I need a separate interface to utilize some of this technology? We also think that corporate strategies are starting to take shape. And I know our next guest is probably going to speak about this a little bit, but so many of our partners at Vayner are crafting the strategies right now of how we're going to leverage AI, both for marketing, but also this is a conversation that's very often not owned by the chief marketing officer, by the chief information officer, the chief technical officer. A lot of those conversations are happening of like, what's the corporate strategy around this? And we also believe that negative narratives are going to start gaining traction a little bit like what you just said, Sam a lot of calling out the misuses of it, a lot of calling out the ethical biases. There will be a few like, oh no, that just happened moments in the next year that I think will expose sort of the dark side of AI. And our last prediction is that AI is going to be everywhere at the Super Bowl this year. Marketers love a shiny new toy and AI is that. Many a brief is coming in around how do we use AI end-to-end to develop our Super Bowl campaigns. And I think it's the right brief, right? It's how do we leverage this technology to do something we're already going to do better, faster, cheaper, more effectively. So I think all of that is going to happen. But the initial hype is dying off in favor of you know really trying to understand this stuff. And what you just sort of pointed out was the fact that there are multiple different formats of generative AI. And the models themselves, there's advantages to having a model that is trained on more information. And there's advantages to having a model that's trained on less. 
just hearing a pitch from an AI company we're considering working with on some marketing initiatives. And their model is actually intentionally not trained on every single thing under the sun. So it can be narrow and focused. So whether you're talking about Claude by Anthropic or Bard by Google or any other of the different companies and models that they're building, each of these are a little bit different. And as you become more familiar with them, you see the pros and cons of each. The same way you have pros and cons of any like media platform or other sort of tech platform that you use. And I don't think that that many people actually understand that yet. They think, you know, generative AI is generative AI and everything is chat GPT. And you're like, actually, it's completely different if you're using Meta's Llama versus if you're using Einstein GPT, because ultimately it's pulling from different information that gives a different output and bigger is not necessarily better. It's interesting to think that in August, thinking about in February when the Super Bowl comes around, that AI is even going to be at the levels of interest that we have now, feels like actually an opportunity for brands to champion the opposite or a very different track if the assumption is that a lot of these Super Bowl ads are going to be utilizing AI or based in AI, we may not be in that place five months from now. You know, I think we will. Honestly, I don't think this is going away. I think that people are going to shift from this being the novelty to this being the norm. Sam, a lot of the ads that you're seeing today leverage generative AI. You don't even know that. No, I understand that. But I'm saying it's not that ads won't use AI in their production suite. Yeah. But the idea that that is now a thing to talk about... Oh, I completely agree with that. That's not hot by January. Right, exactly. So I just don't think the news story is going to be, look, everyone used AI in their Super Bowl ad. I think it's going to be, no, the one that had the talking llama was funny and the one that yeah. you know had the car driving in, in the Midwest isn't. That's why I said it's actually a great brief. It's like, how do we do something that we're already going to spend a fortune on and do it better? Right. With that, let's get to our guest. Avery, this was someone you've been working with on and off for quite a while, Sandeep Seth. CMO of Coach, such a smart thinker, someone who really brings a lot of insight into everything he does with a focus on innovation. I'm really excited to understand what Coach is doing both in the Web3 space, but more so just how Sandy thinks of innovation and the industry as a whole. What were your thoughts on why to bring him in? I have had the great fortune of working with Sandy for the last five years or so in different roles and in different capacities. And I wanted him to join us as a guest because I think he's the ultimate brand builder. And he has a really interesting philosophy of balancing business results with building towards the next new frontier. And I think he's created not just you know work that represents that, but also cultures that represent that. And what he's doing at Tapestry, we're starting to really see in terms of business performance as well. I think you know in the recent earnings report, the CEO called out the impressive number of new users. We've got this hero skew called the Tabby Bag, which is very exciting, and that's of course gotten its flowers but also marketing's ability to really generate business results and drive transformation within a heritage company. So I'm excited to talk all of this with him, get his perspective on all things innovation and how that fits in his sort of leadership agenda at a brand like Coach. Amazing. All right, so after the break, we will come back with Sandy. All right, Sandeep Seth, thank you so much for being with us today. We are thrilled to have you on the Gen C podcast. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Sam. All right. Well, tell the Gen C audience a little bit about your career, please. We you know, know that you have had these incredible roles, starting as an engineer, spending many years at Procter & Gamble, and the last two years coming to the United States and really shaking things up at Tapestry in your current role at Coach, where you're the North America president and global CMO. But tell us a little bit about your career journey, please, Sandeep. 
Oh, you're taking me far back on this, Avery. <laughs> uh, yeah, my career. I talk quite a bit about this. I think my career is a set of accidents, things that just happened from one to the other. Right? Growing up in India back in the 80s, you know, you either be an engineer or you be a doctor. And I chose to be an engineer. I love physics and chemistry, my favorite subjects then. And started as a civil engineer back in early 90s. Yeah, that shows my age now. But pretty soon I realized that's not something I'm cut for. And embarrassingly enough, the reason I left engineering was I was scared of heights. And as you can understand, engineers need to be at a height to, to build anything meaningful on that. So I pivoted. I pivoted from there to selling fax machines. I was selling fax machines door to door. Another humbling experience of cold calling and getting doors slammed on your face. From there, I went back to a bit more uh, tech world of systems integration. I was doing automation for steel plants, working with massive mainframe computers, the size of a massive room, but having lesser computing power than the iPhone today, working on those. And I decided after that, that I actually want to go into consulting or investment banking and went to do my MBA and accidentally landed up in this company. I had no idea what called Procter & Gamble. So that's a series of accidents that took me from one place to the other. But PNG was a revelation for me. It's a marketing university for anyone who's had any engagement with that company. And really, that's where I discovered my passion, my passion for brands, my passion for building communities, and my passion for really learning human behavior, consumer behavior, and how brands influence culture and the role they play. So I spent nearly 24 years at Procter & Gamble working across many brands from starting with healthcare to you know laundry detergents to diapers to eventually spending 20 years in beauty, first on Olay and then SK2, which was my last assignment leading SK2 globally. And here I am in the world of fashion, which I never imagined I would be in sitting in New York, you know, working on coach as the global CMO and North America president. Again, a great accident, which I'm loving every bit of it. Sandeep, first of all, the fax machine was such an amazing technology when it came out. Let's just be real. <laughs> but uh, I still sort of think about asking people to fax me just as a joke. You know, when we were doing our setup call, we talked about the fact that in an earlier iteration of my career, I was at an experiential agency called Fake Love, which was part of the New York Times. And we were really deep into augmented reality technologies. And we worked with you and your team at SK2 at a really groundbreaking, like forward-thinking experience in Japan around augmented reality as a beauty opportunity, which was everything from virtual try-on to kind of these really fantastical, beautiful worlds. And SK2 was really known, I think, for their innovation and in how you were marketing both with influencers, with technology, pushing the limits of what platforms could do. And I would just love to hear a little bit about your thoughts about innovation, about the work you're doing at SK2, and maybe how you've brought that to coach. I've always been fascinated by technology and it's played a big role. You know, growing up, the two pieces of technology I love was first and foremost was a radio. You know, we're talking fax machines. I'm going to talk about radios a bit before we move to augmented reality. Because growing up, I mean, that's how I could be in touch with what's happening in the world. I mean, I was a big sports and cricket fan. Televisions were not that broadly available in India. And the way you connected with the world or got the information that you wanted was radio. And I think the next piece of technology that changed my life forever was a Walkman. A Sony Walkman was the ultimate of it. Again, content and how you can carry content with you. I think 
that curiosity of how technology plays a role in our life, not as technology, but as a way we engage with the world has always been my personal fascination. And, you know, at SK2, we try to bring that at the forefront through many things we did. You know, technology has evolved so much since, you know, smartphones have come out and social media has been out there. And sometimes the way I kind of see it is it's not technology anymore. It's part of our life. It's enhancing different aspects of it. I'm sure none of us think of electricity as technology today, but it was a game-changing technology uh, 100 plus years back on that. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of it. So at SK2, our objective was how do we create meaningful connections for our consumers in different ways and where technology can play the role. The pop-up you're talking about in Tokyo was exactly the same for us. You know, how do we bring a beauty experience, a skincare experience that creates more than just, you know, talking about the product, it creates a bit of a magic And I think augmented reality in that sense allowed us to bring that fun aspect of what beauty and skincare can be, because it's a pretty serious category at one end. I mean, all of us are very serious about our skin, how we look, and beauty is so emotional and integral part of it. But that technology helped us both tackle the serious aspect of beauty and bring out technology in a meaningful way that enhances the product's benefit, but also creating a lot of fun engagement with our younger customers. Cindy, because a lot of our audience is American, they might not be familiar with SK2. Can you explain like what that product is? I know I wasn't before I moved to Singapore and had the good chance to work on it. Absolutely. Well, I tried my best to drive awareness in the US. I uh, guess I didn't succeed <laughs> as much with that. Um, no, SK2 is a luxury skincare brand owned by Procter & Gamble. It's Japanese origin that Procter & Gamble acquired back in the 80s as a part of the Max Factor acquisition. It was a cult product in Japan. It continues to be a cult product with loyal users not using anything but SK2 and seven steps of it. I have all seven of them with me even now. Wherever I go, I carry it. So you can in some way compare it to brands like, you know, Estee Lauder or Lancome or La Mer. But I would say each of these brands are unique and different. So not that much comparison, but that's where it plays. It is now one of the top few global beauty brands that's massively loved in Asia, but growing fast in the rest of the world. I just have to give a shout out to Facial Treatment Essence, which is the cult classic SK2 product for our Gen Z listeners who are looking to improve your skin. This is one pro tip I will give you. FT is my ride or die. Definitely check it out. But we're here to talk about innovation. And Sandeep, I think that one thing that I really admire about you as a business leader is your ability to balance where the world is heading and innovation with the business realities, which are very real. And a lot of our listeners today are feeling that crunch. Q4 is coming. I have to hit my numbers. How do you think about balancing sort of emerging channels and the established channels that you know are going to drive growth? Like you've seen many iterations of this. How do you think about that mix? Like, do you think about it in percentages? Do you think about it as a plus up, how do you think about balancing the new with the now? You know, ignoring where the world is going is not an option because, you know, as business leader, my first task is to define how am I going to future proof the growth for my brand? And that's really the starting point. And if you're talking future proof, you need to start playing into where the future is, where the puck is going versus where it has been on that. Now, You know, as a business leader, I also know that I'm only as good as my last quarter. So if I'm not delivering my quarters, there is no future on that. 
So this is always an and. This is an and for everyone, you know, running any business in, in any category on how do I deliver the quarter, but prepare for the next X number of quarters, right? Maybe next five years out or 10 years out, depending on what's the time horizon you're looking at. And you're right, Avery, at some point you have to quantify this if you want to operationalize it at scale in big brands globally. So, you know, the simple principle I've grown up with and I really like it is the 70-20-10 principle, right? 70% of what we do is still pro and qualified spend where you know this is going to deliver your day-to-day business. And again, this is where the scale is, right? And you want to make sure 70% of your effort and investment goes there. 20% goes into, I would say, emerging but pro one platforms and technologies on that, right? These are where you're not playing today at scale, but now you start putting 20% of the money. This is where you don't need to prove it works. You need to find out how you can work it for yourself, like how that fits in within your strategy. And 10% for me is completely out there where I have no idea I'm going to jump in. You know, I've jumped in into many 10% personally, uh, (laughs) realizing that's not where to play. But I think that's very important because the next 20% idea is going to come from that really futuristic, you know, thinking and, you know, what's happening out there. And to some degree, Sandy, just thinking, you know, three years ago, TikTok was in the 20% or even the 10%. Absolutely. Right? And then now it's like core to any marketing person's plan. How do you think... Because you've had such a long career, you know, when you started, we were in a web one world, if that. And then we went through sort of web two and kind of the social revolution. Now we're kind of in this emerging web three with the ownership economy and creator economy. How do you sort of look at that journey as, again, as a marketer, where parts of what I think is how much the brand also is comfortable seeding control, right? Where your story is being now told through others and now in the future may even be owned by others. How do you approach building in a web one to web three world? Look, this is both, I would say, the biggest challenge all marketers and business leaders face. But I look at it, this is where we can have the most fun of, you know, evolving. I have two kids now, they're quite grown up. And you always want to shape everything they do. You want to control everything. But very soon you realize you control nothing. They define what their character is. They define what they want to do. In some way, brands and businesses are like that. You know, we exist not because of what we are, but we exist because where we fit in people's lives, right? That's the role of a brand. While it's extremely scary of letting go of control. And I'm a person who likes to control. And Avery, you know that. Uh, I like to control the narrative. I pitching Sandeep TikTok. It was bouncing. <laughs> right. Avery, it's not prestige enough. It's not prestige. But I think the world has evolved so dramatically in the last 10 to 15 years, especially with social media. And I was very traditional. I was the one always, you know, getting that newspaper every morning and reading. I'm coming from that era and moving to a place where now actually I get every, you'll be surprised, all my news on TikTok. Uh, (laughs) That's where I figured out this morning that India's moon mission was successful and it landed there. And then I went back to, you know, NDTV and CNN to check that. I think we have to acknowledge that the way we consume information, the way we consume content is completely changed in the last 10 years. And I think the last 10 years probably are equivalent to the entire previous century of transformation that's happened in this area. So I think with that, you know, as a leader, it's imperative we have to embrace some of it, even though it makes us uncomfortable every day. And I think that's the approach, Sam, we are taking on Coach today on going from a place where it was highly controlled brand messaging 
to letting go of that control. And we've kind of gone head on into TikTok over the last year or so, as well as dabbling in all other emerging platforms to see what's possible. As a brand, you need to have core values that are always reflected. And that kind of ties the narrative together. But within that, where do you let go of the control on how that narrative is told by your consumers, I think is going to be key to brands that are going to last long versus brands that are going to fade out in the coming years or decades. You just had a lot of interesting stuff there, Sandeep, but I think the longevity of brands is key. And you've been a part of many that have had a long history. And Coach actually is an American classic, right? Everybody knows a Coach bag. Every girl remembers getting her first Coach bag and that being a coveted thing. And I think Coach has had a massive resurgence in the last few years. And a lot of this has been due to winning you know, with Gen Z, with millennials, recruiting new users. What attracted you to come move to New York, go into Hudson Yards and join a company like Tapestry after 25 years working at P&G, which, as you just said, is a marketing academy. And it's one of the best ones out there. You kind of answered that question within your (laughs) question, partly. Look, I love brands. And the reason I love brands is because of the impact brands have on lives of the people it touches and the culture and community overall. A lot of what we see around as culture today has been defined by some of the iconic brands and they've had life-changing effects. You know, whether we talk about how Apple has done that in recent years or whether we talk about Nike over many, many decades. Across categories, you know, we all can talk about cult brands that have defined our years of growing up or the culture there. And I think Coach, when I first heard about this opportunity, reminded me exactly of that. Coach is a brand which you just said, and this was the first thing I encountered when I mentioned Coach to everyone. Everyone I speak to, they talk about their first Coach backstory. And I realized Coach in some way is such an integral part of people's life and their own story. That is what makes it an iconic brand. And being part of that iconic brand and being able to shape the future with that is what excited me as a challenge. And you know, as a brand builder coming from P&G, that there was no better challenge than work on an iconic brand that is already part of the culture, but taking that into the future and defining what that means for the future generations, Gen Zs and Gen Alphas and so on and so forth beyond that. And I think that was the challenge that excited me. There you go. You have your first coach back here. I literally ran to get this because I have moved like, I don't know, at least like 10 times since I got this when I was 12 years old and I still have it. Thank you very much, Avery. (laughs) Both of you know how many bags I have, which is way too many, but I still have it because I think it's that like nostalgia factor. You know, when I think about Coach, it's a brand that has so much awareness in North America, but it's that relevance piece. And I think your team has done a really nice job bringing out that relevance with this new generation who's heard about Coach, but, you know, maybe wasn't thinking it was the right bag for her until more recently. What do you think is the kind of the keys to how you made those connections, Cindy, or how your team is making those across emerging channels? The challenge with heritage brands and iconic brands is also the risk of becoming the brand for the previous generation or something that you hear often, my mother's brand or my grandmother's brand. And Coach, having such a strong legacy, such a strong heritage, had the same challenge on that. Now, our task is to ask the question, how and where do we fit in the life of the next generation? So again, for all brands that are looking to future-proof themselves, the big question that they need to start asking for is, where do I fit in the lives of my consumers? And especially, where do I fit 
into the next generation's life, their culture and their behavior on that. And I think the work we've done in the past years is really try and understand that aspect of consumer life. So don't start with asking, you know, whether they like our product or our brand or what they think about our brand. Try and understand their life. And a lot of the work we've done is go deep into that insight and see where, you know, brands like us or categories like, you know, handbags, accessories and fashion fit into the life of the consumer, what emotions they trigger. And then working back and saying, how can I evoke that? How can I bring that to life even in a more magnified way than anyone else? And I think that's the work we've been doing. That's the journey we are on. And I would say we've just started that journey of creating that relevance with the next generation, which is going to be key to future-proofing us and where we end up. I do think that it's so important for especially the younger, like sort of Gen Z audience to recognize that heritage is also about storytelling, but it's quality, it's connecting with different times, periods in your life. I remember very vividly when nobody would touch Gucci or no one would wear New Balance because it was your grandfather's sneaker. And yet both Gucci and New Balance are having such a moment with younger audiences. The aspiration around it, I think, is something that people don't recognize that the power of brand building doesn't always have to be current on trend at every moment that there's a moment where you also like engage to the brand versus the brand having to engage to you. And I think that that's something that short-sighted brand marketers, but especially when we think of the Web3 world where it's like Web3 didn't exist two years ago. So people, you know, in micro segments are like, is this hot or not every single day, which is a very tough way to build a brand as opposed to just a commitment to what your story is and what your process is and who your consumer is and modeling out the future, understanding that you also need to pivot. And that, I think, is where innovation and these emerging tech platforms allow that conversation to sort of play out, right? You can have a different type of conversation on a new platform than you could in the New York Times magazine. Absolutely. Look, you know, sometimes I feel that as brands, we tend to run towards what's hot or, you know, just be that cool brand for the moment. And I think you're losing the point that at the end, this is a series of long-term engagements. It's not about what happens one of. And, you know, technology or innovation in terms of platforms play a big role because, you know, each generation has its own platforms of engagement. You know, I was bringing it in a lighter way in, you know, my own relationship with the radio as a platform, right? But that was the platform of that generation or television was a platform of the generation. Gen X, baby boomers, that's really how we grew up or even the older millennials for that matter on that. And so these platforms provide that means to engage your customers and tell your story in a way that's meaningful and relevant for that generation. I think Web3 is that future in some ways, right? I mean, still undefined, still we don't know where it's going to go and how it's going to work. So it's to me, it's not about how good it is today or not. But for me, it is really about looking at where this is going to go and how do I make this a platform of engagement for the brand with its consumers. Yeah, and Sandeep, your team has experimented with a couple of things in this world of Web3, right? And broadly in emerging channels. What are, you know, whether it's NFTs or crypto or Decentraling, Coach has actually been participating in, in this world for the last two years. What's your take on these initial moves and initial experiments? Are they giving insights into the brand? Is this something you all are thinking about doubling down on? Or is it something that you're kind of considering as part of an emerging channel strategy that helps, you know, as this better understand and engage your consumers on a longer term basis? 
Absolutely. We've dabbled with quite a few things from NFTs to virtual stores to Metaverse Fashion Week. And personally, I've been on the mission of buying my first NFT, uh, (laughs) which I haven't succeeded yet, despite putting my money into Ethereum and all kinds of crypto on that. I think these are the areas, I think, where more and more consumers are going to be engaging. And as brands, we need to find a way to create the right user experience. I do believe that a lot of innovation and at very high pace is going to happen in coming years. I don't know what that could be. I'm not a tech expert or even the expert in this field to define what that's going to be. But I think it's important for brands like Coach or any brand that wants to stay relevant to keep exploring opportunities and playing in this area. The key is going to be how do these platforms or how do these you know products remove friction i mean there is a lot of friction and that's why i kind of made the passing comment of i'm still trying to buy my nft but i haven't been able to because it requires multiple steps and efforts to kind of acquire that now the top end of innovators will go through all those steps you know for them it won't matter because they want to be the first ones to get there But that's a minuscule part of the population. That's the top 1% we are talking about or 2% that are likely to do that. But for this technology to scale, it has to come with a UX that's easy to access for everyone. And it needs to provide value in terms of that day-to-day engagement for more and more people to get into that. I'm quite hopeful with how that would happen. I mean, I've seen the evolution of the first generation of smartphone or the first iPhone that I bought to where it is today. You know, I don't see it as technology. I see it as a part of my life. You know, I wake up with that phone in my hand and I sleep with it at night. Now, maybe I'm too addicted to it and need to stop a bit of that. But I think once that friction is taken away, the adoption is going to be really fast. And as brands, we need to be ready for that and we need to pilot and see how our brand can best utilize that platform. And that's what we are doing with all the pilots and tests we've done with our NFT drop, with the Metaverse Fashion Peak that we've done with Decentraland, virtual stores, and many more to come. Sandeep, I want to dive deeper into this idea of immersive worlds for a second, because I do think that gaming is what, you know, so much of the younger audience participates in, both casual and dedicated, on a day-in, day-out basis. You mentioned you guys were in Decentraland, Time Magazine's in the sandbox, Nike is in Fortnite. Just thinking about these worlds, right, from Roblox and Fortnite to the sandbox or whatever, is this the future of marketing, is thinking about grabbing your audience in these lands where there's an opportunity to sort of defy the laws of physics, right? Gravity doesn't matter in Roblox if you don't want it to. But how do you position a brand in that world where stickiness and your attention is being pulled in every way? What are your general thoughts on brands coming into game environments? I'm not sure I'll have a good answer to that because we haven't cracked it ourselves yet, right? We're in the process of figuring it out. I think the role of a brand is to tell stories, right? I mean, that's what we do. We bring stories to life and stories in a way that add meaningful value to the lives of the consumers. And I think the younger generations are in the gaming platforms, which really makes that as an imperative that we need to find a way to create the right and relevant engagement through that platform. So just being present or dropping something there without a reason for it to be there, it's kind of an incomplete story. And that's what doesn't stick or work in the long term. So what we need to figure out is what's that stickiness in terms of how we leverage these platforms to create that two-way engagement between the brand and its consumers on that. So again, no straight answers to that. 
I feel it's important. I feel this is what we need to do. And different brands are trying different approaches. There's no wrong approach here. It's really about figuring out that right fit for yourself. I would say a coach, that's what we are trying to do. We probably don't have the answer to what that right fit is. I can't say that tomorrow we're going to start dropping, you know, virtual bags. And that's the answer to this whole thing. All I know is our consumers are there. The future generations are there. That's where they're engaging, spending a lot of time. The question we need to answer is how best to use that platform and not make the same mistakes we made with, let's say, social media, where we took a television ad and put it on Facebook and assume this is going to work, right? The platform requires a very different way of engaging and connecting. I love that. And I, you know, think that the acknowledgement of the scale and that like that's where this gen alpha and some element of gen Z is, like they are living in this digital first reality and every piece of consumer research is indicating how important this is. You know, kids are wanting digital items for their birthday and Robux instead of toys. It's a whole new generation, but I think brands are navigating like the right way to do this in a way that's brand building and in balancing like brand building with also fit for the format. And that's always an interesting sort of tightrope to walk. And, you know, I can kind of attest to that when my son a few years back for his birthday came and said he wants an app. I'm like, tell me again, what do you want? Like, I want an <laughs> app, <laughs> right? Can you pay this as $70? And I was like, I never thought that someone will come and ask me to buy an app as a birthday gift. He didn't want a Sony Walkman? Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, he didn't want a Sony Walkman. <laughs> um, so let's talk about another format of technology that I think is sweeping the world and is certainly sweeping fashion. And I think this is a lot more controversial, actually, than something like a fax machine or even something like a gaming ecosystem. And that is generative AI. There's no doubt that generative AI is transforming the way that people access information, create information, and as brands... It's a really interesting place to look into both for marketing effectiveness, efficiency, and also brand building. Sandeep, have you gone into this sort of rabbit hole of generative AI in the past year? And if so, anything from a consumer perspective that's sticking out to you? Absolutely. I picked on ChatGPT from your post every last year, uh, just before the <laughs> holidays. And I remember for two weeks, we just sat down as a family during the break, playing with ChatGPTs, writing poems for each other on that. And I was even trying to generate a few interesting ad ideas coming out of this. Now, I really believe how generative AI is going to work. It's really going to change life in a very, very significant way moving forward. I know there's a lot of debate on IP. There's a lot of debate on ethical issues and will it take jobs? I think it's going to just make things better than take things away in my mind. Again, you know, I'm kind of even relating back to my own experience back in the 90s when, you know, I was doing systems integration for steel plants where we're just putting basic computers and automating. The biggest issue I had at that time also was people felt that it's going to take away their jobs, right? That always comes up as the biggest challenge whenever the new technology comes. And we had to spend a lot of time helping everyone understand, no, this is going to make your job even more meaningful than what it has been there. And actually, it's going to generate even more jobs in the end on what's going to happen. I feel generative AI could be a huge enabler, not taking away the creativity, but enhancing the creativity of everything we do and creating new opportunities on where it goes. So personally, I'm quite leaned into that. Professionally, also, we are, as a company, looking into that, looking at different applications, you know, on where we could potentially use on that. But again, these are early days. I mean, at this point, it's really about being open to what's possible and 
seeing how it works to enhance the overall creativity, enhance overall engagement of the brand with its consumers. Cindy, I know we're going to start to wrap up. My final question just comes from the conversation we had when we were doing our kind of prep for this. You made a statement that I thought was really powerful about the idea that marketers should not be experts. And I would love for you to just expound a little bit more on that, because I thought it was such a good sentiment in a world where everyone thinks they're a thought leader. This is something that I I truly believe in. And a few years back, I read this quote also from Satya Nadella, the Microsoft CEO, where he said, we need to move away from, I know it all to be more, I will learn it all. And I so believe in that. The pace at which technology and platforms and everything is changing, there's no time to become an expert. And, you know, it's such a waste to become an expert and then see that technology fade away and something new kind of come on that. So I think we need to go in with that mindset of being a student every day and trying it out and making it happen. Of course, you need to be an expert of your brand and your consumers, right? I mean, that's what we need to have expertise on. But I cannot master every new platform or no one can or should even try to do that. But know enough to create that right story, to create that engagement is really how I want to approach things. And I think that makes us agile and nimble in some way and always ready to move to the next thing versus getting so wasted and invested in one platform that it becomes difficult. And I've been through that journey when, you know, CPG marketing was so wasted in television as the singular platform. And we were all such experts of that, that it became very difficult to adopt social media when it came in. So how do we avoid that pitfall to me is very important. And that's why not being an expert is a blessing sometimes. I think you're an expert in marketing, Sadiq, and that's why you've been an incredible <laughs> guest on this podcast. Thank you for sharing so many of your insights of you know, brand building across different eras and leaning into emerging technology as a way to connect with consumers while ultimately building a brand that has longevity. Still going to carry this coach bag proudly with me forever. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to share your insights with us today. Thank you very much. Love talking to both of you. Thanks, Avery. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sadiq. That was a banger. That was a banger. Sandeep was incredible. I love really seasoned marketers who really understand the game of innovation, consumers, brand building. Like he touched on all the things that just get me excited. My favorite sort of part of the episode was hearing about how technology has continuously reinvented the way that brands engage with our consumers, right? Whether we're talking about Web 1, Web 2, Web 3, Walkmans, Metaverse, brands need not to be an expert in this specific technology, but in how to use that technology to engage their consumers and get people to care. And I think Sandeep did an incredible job articulating that across his historic career. Absolutely. And the key takeaway for me, and I'm speaking to every one of you on LinkedIn who says that you are an innovator, a thought leader, an expert in your descriptions, focus on being the student, not the expert. I think that was such a good point that the way you get to the status of Sandeep, the way you become a Raja a MasterCard, the way you become a Linda Boff at GE is by trial and trial and trial and not assuming you own it, but it's like constantly doing the work of why and then looking through that 70-20-10 lens that he put, which I think is such a smart positioning and knowing that the next big platform is coming up from the edges and that if you're just positioning yourself always being the curious student, that's where you get your edge. That's where you get your advantage. 
that's how you future-proof your brands. And we should also have Linda and Raja on here. I think they would both be great guests. So let's make that happen, Sam. We'll work on it. All right, Avery, so good seeing you. Have an amazing, amazing week. And listeners, thanks for everything you bring to us. Thank you, Gen Z listeners. As always, hit us up with any questions, comments, thoughts, or suggested guests. We are on episode 41, coming up on 50, which is crazy. And you know, huge thanks to each of you for taking the time to listen to this. Mm-hmm.